the Fremen were supreme in that quality the ancients called Spannenspoken, which is the self-imposed delay between desire for a thing and the act of reaching out to grasp that thing. From The Wisdom of Muhadib by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pulse. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we are going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. Hey, Evan, how's it going today? Pretty good. How are you? Good, man. Good. So, uh, we've been asking... Well, when did we start this? The end of book one. We asked people to send in their favorite moments from Dune yep. so yep. far. And we have a Steve Pauls from Fresno, California, which yeah. is funny because that's where I'm from. And my last name is Pauls. But we did the look. He emailed me before and we don't think we're related, but, you know, we could be. We have to sure. check the... Uh, Bene Gesserit accounts to see if we're actually related. But he emailed us. My cousin Steve. Yeah. Steve, my man. He says, I have favorite, I have many favorite moments in Dune because Herbert does a fantastic job of using your multiple senses to connect us to the story. Sight, sound, smell, taste are all very much involved in Dune's intricate desert ecosystems. The Cave of Ridges is one of his favorite chapters, which is da, 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 this chapter right here. Uh, Steve says, I connected to this section in so many different ways because of the different places I've been, like Bryce Canyon or the Narrows or in Zion National Park. For instance, when Paul says, um, Paul turned his head upwards as he walked, seeing the tapestry of the planet cut in cross sections with a narrow cleft gapped towards the gray-blue sky. Or when he looked over the basin of the cliff wall, seeing the Fremen go about their day-to-day life. There's so many places in Bryce or in Zion that fit that description exactly. The isolated, the heat, the silence, the narrow passages, the towering cliffs, all ancient and empty. But the closer you look, you see life is everywhere in a delicate balance, just like it is on Arrakis. That idea of balance runs throughout the book. Balance between life and death, water and the desert, good and evil, all balanced on a needle point, ready to be pushed one way or the other. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate that. Wow. That was beautiful. I think Steve should become a writer because that was beautiful. I agree. Right. Uh, if you want to send us your favorite moments from Dune, hit us up at a uh, Gmail, that's readingdune at gmail.com. Um, type us up a little thing like Steve did. You can send us an audio clip. We'll play it on the show. Video clip, we'll take whatever we can get. We just want to know what your favorite moment is because this isn't just about Evan and I. It's about all of us. Yes. Yeah. We, we only have one audio clip, right? Just the one time? So far, but I'm crossing my fingers that somebody out there is going to send us another one before this is over. Send us some audio. Send us some video. I want to hear your beautiful voice. Please. All right, Evan. Where exactly did we leave off with Paul and Jessica last? Um, We were 
we met Stilgar. Well, we uh, re-encountered Stilgar. Uh, we met Chani. Mm-hmm. Did I say that? Okay. Um, and they were in that weird uh, spot in the rock that thing. I don't, I don't remember what the word was that they used. Um, yeah, they were in a little basin. Yeah, and um, they somehow survived a whole like potential attack situation. Jessica had Stilgar on the ropes, and uh, they were walking out of there towards this place called the the cave of something. The what? What is it? What is it called? They're going to the cave of ridges. The cave of ridges. I almost said the the ridge of something else. Yeah. So they walked out of the basin at night in like formation, walking without rhythm on the dunes all the way to the spot. So this chapter picks up as this as day as dawn break approaches. They are approaching the cave of ridges so they're coming from the sand and there's this rock wall that's pretty much just poked up straight into the sky and one by one the fremen are turning sideways and they're sliding through this narrow slit in the cliff Stilgar dispatches two guards who then scale the cliff all the way to the top just all the way to the top. You think they're like shimmying like Paul was in the last chapter? I mean, yeah, they were doing something crazy to get up there, like mountain goat status. Dope. Paul watches as they ascend the cliff. Chani pulls on Paul's rope for him to enter the crack. Quickly, it's light already. Like, let's go. Johnny. Johnny is so salty already. She's the best. Paul asks, where are the men, where are those two men going? Charlie replies, it's first day watch. Now, come on, let's go. <laughs> Paul thinks to himself as he turns sideways to enter. A guard left outside, wise. But wouldn't it be wiser if we'd approached in separate bands? And Paul catches himself thinking like a gorilla tactics. And he remembers what his father's fear that the Atreides may be they might become a gorilla house. Here they are. And here they are. He's already thinking in this in these moments. Dad's fear is coming true. Faster, Johnny whispered. Paul picks up the steps. And a quote from the OC Bible about the Sarat passes through his brain. The Sarat is um, basically is... It describes the human life as a journey across a narrow bridge, mm-hmm. which when I looked it up, it is just means what it says the quote is in the, uh, in the text here in the book. Paradise on my right, hell on my left, and the angel of death behind. That's the journey of life that they all go on. Paul turns a corner and sees a deep and wide area with a domed ceiling that kind of curves away so you can't touch it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The troop... Did you skip something there? Uh, 
Because he like they go into a hole, right? Yeah. They turn the corner and they go into a hole. Okay. Okay. We're all caught up now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they turn the corner, they go, they're going through these narrow bands where they have to go sideways and they duck down and they go into this hole and there's this deep, wide area with like the ceiling, this domed ceiling. And the troop at this point spreads out into the shadows. And Paul kind of looks at his, sees his mother. And even though she's wearing the same clothes as the Fremen, she stands out like a sore thumb. Jessica moves with a sense of power and grace. There's like this sort of regalness to her as she's walking into this, this scene. And also, like, all these women have been here before, and they know what's happening, they know what the routine is, and she has no clue what the routine is Right. once they get there. So she's just kind of like, you know when you, like, walk into a party where you don't know anybody? <laughs> you're just kind of like awkwardly like standing there like oh where i gotta go to the drinks where are the drinks who do i know i feel like she's walking into the scene like that but she's doing it with like a nobility of like oh, i am where i am it's like uh it's like going to a party where you don't know anybody but you know you're better than everybody at that party <laughs> jessica in a nutshell yeah not that i've ever actually felt that way but We'll have, to, we'll have to throw a party that Evan, once once all this COVID <laughs> business is over, we'll throw a party. Woo. Um, Chani comes up to Paul with some food wrapped in leaves, which I thought was interesting that they'd be wrapped in leaves because, I mean, how scarce like plants are. Right. But she's got food wrapped in some leaves. Right. My immediate thought was the Lembus bread from Lord of the Lord Rings. Of the Rings. Yes. Cool. But yeah, this stuff, this reek of spice, it's just that cinnamon smell just overpowers you nope. as soon as you like take it. Um, <laughs> and then Chani says, find a place to rest and stay out of the way, child man. Here's some food. Child man. Yeah. <laughs> she's amazing she is asserting herself as the dominant one in this group is like oh by the way i am above you right child man stay here i am in you're in my care <laughs> shout out to uh brad dillman who is finally caught up hey. on the podcast and is now here live for the first time here on youtube brad we're uh happy to see you thanks for joining us in this little adventure good job brad good job brad how do you Whoop whoop. Um, all right. So then Jessica then is kind of just standing here awkwardly in the middle of the room, probably because she didn't know what's happening. And Stilgar comes up to her and he calls out some orders. Get the door seal in place. See the moisture security. Get the glow globes. Stilgar grabs, Je- takes Jessica's arm and leads her to a curve of rock towards a light source. He says, I wish to show you something, weirding woman. He takes her to this opening in this cave. So Jessica looks out through this opening and sees a basin of sand that's maybe 12, 10 to 12 kilometers wide, shielded by these high rock walls with sparse clumps of plant growth scattered within the walls. Like she can actually see plants, which has got to be wild. Right. Just like sticking out of the desert, like in the sand. I imagine them, they're like, 
not just sticking out of the sand, but like near to like the rock formations. Mm. So the sand doesn't like cover them up or something doesn't happen to them. Like they're more of like near the rocks. Um, this is probably easier to plant there. I don't know anything about desert vegetation. Maybe we need to take a trip to the desert, Caleb. Maybe we should. <laughs> take a tour or something. Yeah. Is there, is there, a, is there a, a botanist here we can follow around to get some knowledge? I don't know about botanists, but... The National Park. Do they have that set up for us? That'd be great. All right. Still guard grips her arm, pointed across the basin. There. There you see a proper address. That is my home. We will be there this night. So as he points across, he points to State Tabar. And this is like the first big Fremen settlement that we're going to see. This is like established Fremen city. Um, and so she looks across the basin and there are people and cruise ships fluttering like multicolored butterflies. It's just like life in a whole new way. Silgar tugs at his mustache. Mm. My people stayed out over late working. That means there are no patrols about. I'll signal them later and they'll prepare for us. So he sees them outside the sea etch on the sand. Uh, Evan, what do you think they were doing outside of the sea etch? Like, why would they be out on the sand? I mean, I assume they were farming, quote unquote, or like tending to those plants. That's that was the assumption I made while I was reading, anyway. Right. That's that's what I got too. Is that they were so since there is no rain um, on Arrakis, how does how do the plants get water? I guess they have to like be collecting water somehow to go water the plants, which I mean, we're going to talk about it in this episode, but they talk about the importance of like Liet Kynes' plan to terraform Arrakis and how it's like a big deal and they have to do some very difficult things to keep it going because it's a big deal, you know? So, yes. So, yeah, I, I think know. they're out there like literally watering the plants. Yeah. Until the plants are big enough and the wind traps have all set up that they can go on their own. But yeah, they, they're like little clouds delivering little packets of rain to each little plant. <laughs> yes. Little water elves. <laughs> That's exactly it. Jessica and Stilgard are then are going to they have a conversation about leadership. And Jessica asks if her little show the night before would compromise Stilgard's leadership. Right? Like if me putting you did I put you in a precarious position with your people because I like bested you in any way? Um Stilgard says, since she didn't like directly call him out, no, it was fine. Plus, no Fremen would follow her. She's not of the desert. She doesn't know their ways. Right. And so Jessica says, practical, practical people. True enough, Stilgard glances back towards home. We know our needs, but not many are thinking deep thoughts now. This close to home. We've been overlong arranged to deliver our spice gourd to the free traders for the cursed guild. 
may their faces be forever black. Jessica stunned. The guild? What does a guild have to do with your spice? So first, before we continue, um, I think, so this group of people was probably out delivering spice to the guild, and then they got a message from Liette to be like, hey, watch out, the, the kid's coming in the storm. Like, find him. Right. And they're like, oh, I'm, we were already out. Fine, I'll stay the extra three days and find this kid for you. And then they run into him in the basin. So they've probably been out back. So they're like wanting to get home at this point. They've just right. stayed an extra five days looking for some random kiddo that they should have killed, which is why, I mean, I can understand why Jameis was pissed. He's just probably trying to get back to his own bed. Like, kill the woman and let's move on. Yeah, but yeah. Like, yeah. So they, they, they have, they're looking forward to something. Yeah. But Jessica's um, stunned by... Th- Question. Um, the when he says the free traders, is he talking about the smugglers? Um, there are probably multiple things. So they're, they're probably they're probably selling to the smugglers, and they're probably selling straight to the guild. Mm. Okay. So the guild probably has multiple sources of coming in to get spice. They're going to take some through the smugglers that so people know that they're taking it, but also they're probably just taking it direct. Also, they're probably taking it through another source. Plus, they're charging huge fees to get people to shit. People so they can keep their spice like moving and flowing. Yeah. And they need spice in a very different way than everybody else because they the guild has um they they are deformed humans, right? They've they've evolved in a certain way that they're like basked in the spice and they live in they're like little fish people that live in little like fish containers, little little fish bowls full of spice. So they're like bathed in it, so they like they need a lot of it to function, to do their job. Cool. So, I don't yeah. remember ever reading the word fish people in this book, but I'll figure yeah. Nah, more. that's the best. Yeah, they're like, they just, they're like, feel little fish people. They're humans, fishes. They can't be trusted. Anybody with gills cannot be trusted. <laughs> okay. It's just a general rule of thumb. <laughs> All right. So Jessica's like stunned. Wait, the guild? What's the guild have to do with this? And Stilgar explains, yeah, it's Liet's command. We bribe the guild with monstrous payments of spice to keep our skies clear of satellites so n- such that none may spy on what we do to the face of Arrakis. Evan, who figured this out first? Because how it said earlier on, like when Alita was so there, like, hey, is there any way we can get the guild to give us satellites so we know what's happening? And how it's like, yeah, there's no way we can, there's no way. So who figured it out? first that the Fremen were like ha, um, giving the guild spice? Um, I don't really know. I want to say Leto figured it out from like the context clues or Paul figured it out. Paul was talking about it. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Paul figured it out first. Yeah, when he has his mental breakdown in the tent, that's where he puts all the pieces together. Um, and so, yeah, 
So Jessica's heard all of this before, but through Paul. So it's got to be weird hearing it from the other side. Right. The Fremen actually confirming what Paul had said when he was freaking out. Yep. So Jessica remembers that Paul had said it in the tent. That this is the reason that nobody knows what's happening on the other side of the planet. Um, but Jessica still asks the question. Why is it that what you do to the face of Arrakis cannot be seen? Stilgar replies, we change it, slowly but certainly, to make it fit for human life. And Stilgar explains that he will never see this transformation, nor will, nor will his grandchildren's grandchildren. But eventually, there will be open water and people without still suits on Arrakis. And I think that just talks a lot about determination, knowing like you're building towards something that not even your grandchildren's grandchildren will be a part of or reap the benefits of, but you know, eventually somebody will. That's got to be some determination. Jessica then realizes what Liet Kind was up to the whole time. She glances back out of the basin and sees that deep in the distance, a long worm traveling on the surface. And what it looks like to be Fremen robes on top. Bum, 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 bum. What is she seeing, Evan? Um, she thinks it's Mirage, right? But what? Yeah, she thinks it's a Mirage. It's in the distance, and there's like probably sand coming up everywhere around it. But like, I can't be. It can't be a Fremen riding a freaking giant worm like it's a horse or something. Like, can't be that. It can possibly. No way. You know that thing we ran from in the in the thing that was going to kill us. No, no way that the Fremen are riding a worm. Right, you can't just run up on a worm and yeehaw it. Like that's not. That's not no, no way. There's no way they could do that. They would, but Stilgar then looks at. Mm, it would be better to ride, but we cannot permit a maker into the basin. Thus, we walk again tonight. That's when it clicks for Jessica. Maker. That's their word for worm, which you figured out before, which I'm very proud of you. And so with are everybody else. With your help, admittedly. You were, uh, you were, I was having a hard time that episode. <laughs> Little maker. Yeah. <laughs> Jessica then thinks of all the implications this would mean if Fremen could ride the worms. And if they permit where the worms go and don't go, this means that the Fremen are, again, continue to blow Jessica's mind. First with the, the paracompass and all of the things they need with the still suits. Plus, now they know they're trying to terraform the whole, whole thing. Plus, they ride the worms and can control where the worms go and don't go. She's and she's going to continue to get more um, more stunned as this conversation goes because the people, the Fremen themselves, are also going to surprise her. Right. Stilgar says to Jessica, "We must go back to the others, else they might suspect I dally with you. Some already are jealous that my hands tasted your loveliness when we struggled last night in Toronto Basin. That will be enough of that," Jessica says. No offense, Stilgar says. 
Our women are not taken advantage, or not taken against their will. And with you, he shrugged, even that convention isn't required. Like, no way someone could do that to you. You'd kill them too fast. <laughs> but that's nice that the, that the Freemen have a policy where they don't rape their women. That's good. That's a nice thing if you're walking into a culture. In this word, Jessica, her voice calmer, reminds Stilgar, you'll keep in mind, I was the Duke's lady. Right? Like, remember, I'm practically royalty here. I... I don't mess with people like you, right? Yeah. As you wish. How uh, how much do they take that into consideration? It's like, this is, this is the desert. This is Fremen country. It's like, do you want to die? Do you want to live? What do you want to do? I was a Duke's lady. And she's like, okay. Like, I doesn't affect me much. Like, I don't, you know? Right. So, still girls like, okay, all right, as you wish, as you wish, you're the Duke's lady, okay. <laughs> time to seal, it's time to seal off this opening and permit relaxation of still suit discipline. My people need to rest in the comfort this day, and their families will give them a little rest on the morrow. So, what is that? What are we going to do? Are we going to find out? What do you mean? Well, it's like, what, okay, what is the... Their families will give them a little rest on the morrow. Like they're uh, late. Oh, so they're gonna give them a bunch of crap for being late. Right. Like, yeah, you left me three days with the kids and you didn't tell me. They're yours now. You take care of them. Like that's exactly what he means. (laughs) My wife would not give me much rest if I was just gone for three days. Right, and you didn't tell. I was on a mission from Juliet. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if the worm ate you. You're here on time when I say you're on time. <laughs> so this is where, this is, I think this is really funny. This is the moment. So Stilgar pulled her aside. Basically, he wanted to show her the home, his home. Right? Like, hey, here you go. This is where we're going. It's pretty cool. Um, and he's like, okay, now we need to seal this up. Because, like... They need to, people need to rest, take off their still suits. Like, we got a long day ahead of us. This will be their last little moment before they're just like bombarded with city life again. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's do that. But Jessica starts thinking. She starts thinking about Stilgar's comment about her loveliness. And maybe, possibly, Stilgar could use a wife. Maybe that's going to be her place. She could move into that role. She's kind of been in that role before. He's a good guy. Move, you know, like it's a very, it's a great political move for their survival. But what about Paul? She doesn't know their customs, and she starts thinking about her unborn child. Like, what does that? What implications is that going to bring up? Are they Mm -hmm. just going to kill her straight off because it's the the child of wasn't. Stilgars or whatever. Like she starts thinking about all these things. Stilgar is now watching her as she's pretty much dazed off as Jessica processes all of this. He's just waiting. Finally, he <clears throat> clears his throat, revealing that he kind of understood what she was thinking. Right. And Stilgar says, What is important for a leader is that which makes him a leader. He 
It is the needs of his people. You must teach me your powers. There may be a day when one of us may challenge the other, but I would prefer some alternatives. Wait. So he's basically... <laughs> well, he's like, yeah, for, for this arrangement to really work here, you may at one point in time have to challenge me because of stuff, but I think there's there's another way we could go here. And Jessica says, there are several alter- alternatives. The Sayadina, Silgar says, our Reverend Mother is old. And that's when it clicks for Jessica. Their Reverend Mother? Wait, what? Like, a Reverend Mother, highest skill, um, Helen, Helen Guy, highest skill, Maham, I can't remember her name, full name. From the very beginning, I'm going to get crucified for that one. Wow, that was um, hard. Said, yeah, that was hard. That was really bad. That uh, missionary productivity was deep, but she didn't know how deep it went. They have Reverend Mothers, so it's r- really deep. Yeah. This is where she started like, holy cow, there's this whole thing I could work for. And it was a quote that was in, I think it was in the Mapes chapter when they first arrived in Arrakis. It was like, there was no person quiet like Jessica. Perfect for this moment. And we're about to see that in action right here. Stilgar continues. I do not necessarily offer myself as a mate. It was nothing personal for you. You are beautiful and desirable. But should you become one of my women, that might lead some of my young men to think I'm too much concerned with the pleasures of the flesh and not enough concerned with the tribe's needs. Even now, they listen and watch us. Jessica thinks, a man who weighs his decisions and thinks of consequences. This is good. Not bad. This is good. Stilgar continues. There are among my young men who have reached the age of wild spirits. They must be eased through this period. I must leave no great reason around for them to challenge me, because I would have to maim or kill among them. This is not a proper course for a leader, if it can be avoided with honor. A leader, you see, is one of the things that distinguishes a mob from a people. He maintains the level of individuals. Too few an individual, a people reverts to a mob. That's good juice. Evan, Evan shakes his head at me. That is good juice right there. Man, I'm going to read it again because it was really good. Where did it go? Leader, you see, is one of the things that distinguishes a mob from a people. He maintains the level of individuals. Too few individuals and a people reverts to a mob. I'm nerding out. That was a really good quote. I really liked it. Because a leader instills the um, values of the individual, right? We are here with a purpose. We are here with, no matter what happens to us, we must always seek our own like individualism. Um, uh, I was reading... Martin Luther King Day just went through, and of course, everybody posts Martin Luther King Day stuff on Martin Luther King Day, right? So one of his quotes was for the um, the uh, the bus rides, right, as they crossed state lines, which was a big deal. 
there was it was like a list of things to do and they were all very like individual oriented mm-hmm. it was like remember that we do this for <laughs> that you that no if somebody yells at you do not yell back if somebody pushes you don't push back always try to put yourself in another person's shoes always try to it was all these things that like room like anchor yourself in the individual and not let your emotions like carry you away right into whatever the moment was and i thought that kind of this this quote kind of um kind of talks about that as well yeah because the like, leader the that that group of people without martin luther king jr as their leader would have very easily turned into a mob and been very ineffective. But yeah, they accomplished nothing as a mob. Right. They had a leader and he had a purpose and a focus and he got them to be one of the most effective social movements in like human history. It's crazy. Yeah. You know? Right. Because he centered everything about like the the worth of an individual. You have worth and value. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. We could just, we could just, we're just staying on that tangent forever. We'll just go back. All right, back to Dude. His words spoke directly to Jessica, but it, they, the words went to everyone else who was also listening in because they're also all waiting for them to close up and reseal the opening so they can take off their still suits. They're like, please, I want to take off my still suit. Close the door. They're all waiting for this moment. Like, there's nothing, they're probably eating. Like, can you please hurry up? Like, I want to take my still suit off. But come on. So, but Jessica at that, point, at that moment had to reevaluate him, just like she's been reevaluating the Fremen and Stilgard since we've met them. His stature, she thought. Where did he learn such inner balance? What is his ancestry? And of course, the most Bene Gesserit thing ever. Whence comes such breeding? <laughs> such a Benedict Jesuit thing. How, how, how are these traits bred into him? Right. Jessica looks at Stilgar and says, "Stilgar, I underestimated you. Such was my suspicion." He says. <laughs> Each of us apparently underestimated the other. Jessica says, "I should like an end to this. I should like a friendship with you." Stilgar says. And trust. I should like that respect for each other which grows in the breast without demanding for the huddles of sex. I understand, she says. I think he wants to like reiterate the point. Like, I'm looking for your companionship, but not your yeah, companionship. Partnership. <laughs> partnership right. not, uh, not the dirty version that you might be expecting me to want. You know, like, right. I'm not like everybody else. Right. This is where he looks at her and says, do you trust me? And she says, I hear your sincerity. Now's the point where Stilgar wants to tell Jessica that what he's about to offer her is greater than any role of a wife. He's trying to give her a spiritual power, something she never had on Kaladin. Right, on Kaladin, she was the Duke's lady, right? They would say that the Duke would be the father of the people and she was the mother of the people. But here she gets to be the high priestess of a people. Yeah. And it's a whole other level of power. Right. Which she wants to walk into. Among us, Stilgar says, the Sayadina 
even though they may not be formal leaders, hold a special place of honor. They teach. They maintain the strength of God in here. He touches his breast. <laughs> Which is perfect for the B'nai Gesserit, because what do they do? Is they are, They're teachers for the most part, and they maintain all of the religions and the languages and the customs. So it's like a perfect role for her to just slip into. This is where Jessica starts probing how deep did the missionary perfectiva actually go? And Stilgar then says, It is said that a Bene Gesserit and her offspring hold the key to our future. That's like missionary perfectivia 101. Like that is the, the core. The Bene Gesserit and her offspring hold the future. Keep them close. Do not let them away. <laughs> Jessica asks, do you believe that I'm that one? We do not know, he said. Jessica starts thinking that he wants a sign. Like, he would prove to us that you are this one. I don't think they want that at this point. I just think they want to get out there. Still suits, like, please, woman, we... We, you're safe. Let's just keep going here. We don't need all this. But she decides that she needs to do something. And this is where no person was better situated for a moment than Jessica. Right. Jessica looks back at the basin and all of a sudden her mind was filled, filled the cont of the missionary protectiva. And she knew exactly how to adapt the techniques of the legend and the fear and the hope to her emergency needs. She felt as though someone had already been here and capitalized on the missionary protectiva's imprint. That maybe Paul and Jessica weren't the first Benegas right here to capitalize on this. Maybe thousands of years ago, somebody else was there and continued the legend. Right. But now she knows exactly which levers to pull. Like it's something her training just kicked in. Stilgar clears his throat for <clears throat> the second time. And Jessica realizes that they're all waiting to close off the hole so they can take off their still suits. <laughs> Everyone is literally waiting on her. And this is what she decides to do. Adab, she whispers. The words start flowing from her. Edim Kutaba, as far as this Fort where the dust ends. She stretches out an arm in a very eerie way. Stilgar's eyes go wide. The Fremen in the shadow all start staring at Jessica. I see a Fremen with a book of examples. He reads to Alat, the son whom he defined and subjugated. I'm finding the actual quote here in the book here. Because it's, there we go. He reads the Sadas of the trial, and this is what he reads. Mine enemies are green blades eaten down. That did stand in the path of the tempest. Thou hast not seen what our Lord did? He sent the pestilence among them. That did lay schemes against us. They are like birds scattered by the huntsman. Their schemes are like the pellet of poison that every mouth rejects. A trembling passed through her. She drops her arm. Back with her back to her, the inner gave shadows. In the shadows came a whisper. 
of many voices. Their works have been overturned. Jessica, the fire of God mount over thy heart. The shadows whisper again. The fire of God set alight. Jessica nods, and thine enemies shall fall. By Allah, Khalifa, they answer. A sudden hush. Stilgar bows. Sayyidina, he said. If the Shai Halud grant, then you may yet pass within to become a reverend mother. What did you think of that whole scene? Was that weird? I thought it was sweet. It was like, yeah, she. It seemed to me when I was reading it, like, you know, as as like a Bene Gesserit, everything she's doing has something to do with control and like something learned, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, in the situation and the way it's worded makes it seem like. She just had to let go of all of her control. And then all of this just like came out, you know, yeah. uh, which I thought was really cool. Cause it's like, she's been hitting ceiling with her abilities. She's not a reverend mother yet. And there's something else that she has to do, which like all of this training and everything that she does is all about like, holding on to the way things are supposed to be. And then at this moment, she just like, let's go. And this stuff just comes out. And so she's like, seems to have broken through that ceiling to the point where she said something super random, but super random, exactly what they needed to hear and the sign that they needed to get from her. Um, And it all came from her, like letting go and like releasing control. Yeah, just trusting that inner knowing that's been trained back there. Just go for it. Right. But there's a phrase that kind of puzzles her. Stilgar says, you may yet pass within to become a river mother. Pass within? She's like, what does that mean? She doesn't quite get it. Which is funny because she says all this stuff like she knows what she's talking about, but she really has no idea what she's talking about. (laughs) She felt a cynical Bitterness at what she'd done. Our missionary protectiva seldom fails. A place was prepared for us in the wilderness. The prayer of the Salat was carved out of our hiding place. Now I must play the part of the friend of God. Sayyidina to a rogue peoples who have been so heavenly imprinted with our B'nai Gesserit soothsay. They even call their chief priestesses reverend mothers. She's just... Chuck, like, and she was like, yeah, yeah, she's, she's like, I, I didn't want to do that, but here we are. Yeah. Using the manipulation to our benefit. I mean, she's just doing, she's taking the next step, you know, she's doing the next right thing or whatever. Like she's just taking it as it comes and it's like, oh, right now I have to do that. Okay. And that's what happens. Right, and she did something. Uh, meanwhile, Paul is standing. Paul, during this whole time, just standing next to Chani in the shadows. He could taste the morsel she had fed them, and in tasting it, he realized he'd never eaten such a concentration of spice essence ever before. And there was a moment of fear. Oh, because what did 
What did Spice do to the last time Paul had just a little bit of it? Oh, he went super down. Freaking Electric Avenue trippiness. Like he was, he was in it, man. <laughs> like this is when he had his first big prescience, like revelation thing, right? Right. So, but now he uh, he sees this moment of fear. But what do we do with fear, Evan? What what do we do with fear? Uh, we let it pass through us and over us and when we turn to look the fear is no longer there only i remain come on let's go that's pretty good right i, I almost yeah, got pretty good you okay. almost got it yeah fear is the mind killer he knew what the spice would do to him and how it pushed his mind into prescience awareness so he's taking a bite mom's doing her speech he's just like Kind of freaking out, like, what's about to happen to me? Bala al-Kaifa, Johnny whispered. Paul looked at her, just like, just like probably noticing her at this point in time. He's trying to like focus on the moment, seeing the awe in her eyes. He looks around. Everybody has awe in their eyes, except one person, Jameis. Jameis. Who is standing aloof with his arms crossed, just staring. Johnny stares at Paul with a look of pure wonder. Like, I don't know what just happened, but the Fremen for sure know something just happened. <laughs> Paul took a deep breath as he tried to keep from falling into the tempest that was happening within him. His mother's word had locked on to the working of the spice essence. Through all of it, he felt an edge of cynicism. He knew her all too well. But there was nothing that could stop what was about to happen to him. <laughs> he could feel the terrible purpose. He sensed it. The rising race consciousness that he could not escape. The sharpened clarity. The inflow of data. The cold precision of awareness. Paul puts his back against the wall and just sinks down. <laughs> like, I'm going to need to sit down for this one. Okay, so we talked about, like, Jessica walking in. Like, you're at a party and uh, you don't know anybody. Paul is having the experience where you're the highest person at a party. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like in the corner like uh oh too much too much <laughs> you gotta like find the corner so you know you're like you're oh. safe from two angles oh god <laughs> find me the beanbag chair right now like you just need something <laughs> that's exactly it alright so he's about to trip and I'm gonna try to do my best ladies and gentlemen on this one some of this stuff is trippy and it's hard to explain so and, please bear with me and it's just wordy it's super wordy i mean i don't i've done affairs amount of I had experiences with things you take and cause experiences like this but this is uh i said still hard to it's hard to describe right this is this is also something else <laughs> this is this is some other thing man all right <laughs> Awareness, awareness flowed into the timeless stratum where he could view time. So he like falls. Yeah, it's like Doctor Strange stuff. Like he falls back into time. 
into this well of time, sensing all available past on the wind of the future, the past, the present, the future, combined in a trinocular vision of time, where time becomes space. All right, are you visualizing this yet? I, I'm visualizing a lot reading through this okay it's just like all right good you're caught up okay good <laughs> paul could feel the danger of the moment and he had to try to hold on to the present right like when you're really high and you're just like focus on breathing it's <laughs> that moment for him right sensing the blurred deflection of the experience the flowing moment the continual solidification of what is into what perpetually was oh. So it's like what is currently happening and flowing back into the what was, right? So the past, which is concrete and not moving, whereas the future is continually moving because it hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. um, Paul grasps for the present, feeling for the first time time's massive movement everywhere complicated by shifting currents of waves and surges and counter surges. And, and Frank Herbert describes this like it's uh, the surf crashing against the cliff, right? Or it goes back and forth. You can kind of feel that wave motion. This gave him new understanding of his prescience. And he saw the source of blind time, the source of error in it, with an immediate sensation of fear. Because he's had these prescient visions, he's seen the future, but for some odd reason, we can still get stuck in blind time all the time. Like ever since having it, so he's still trying to understand what this is. And also, let's think about it. If this isn't all of food, could you imagine every single meal you tripping this hard? But But like, does this happen to everybody? Or is it just because of who Paul is that this is happening to him? Also, it's just because of this, like, let's hope so. I think I, I think I think you'll gain a tolerance or at least an understanding of more of how to work this thing, right? Because even this experience, uh, compared to the last one, he he, you know, like, um, there was danger he felt of overrunning himself, and he had to hold on to his awareness of the present. Sensing the blah, 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 blah. And he keeps, keeps talking. But like, he's right. like, it starts happening again. He's like, whoa, okay. I gotta, I gotta hold on. I gotta stay here. Okay. And he's like figuring it out. You know, he's like going into this, you know. Yeah. He's trying, he's trying to figure out how to, how this whole thing works. He's not just, I think the last time he was along for the ride, this one, he's a little bit trying to control it a little bit more. Like, right. What's happening? How do I how do I understand this? And I think as he, of course he gets older, he's gonna like he writes about prescience later on. At least he tells Princess Erewhon, and we write about it. So like, there are these waves, and how much does the prophet predict the future versus create the future by seeing little cracks and wedges? Right. Okay. So the prescience he realized only showed the limits of it what it revealed. This is all very, I didn't quite understand some of this, but he called it a kind of Heisenberg indeterminacy, indeterminacy intervened. I had to look up Heisenberg. I looked it up. It's a quantum 
mechanics theory, which basically says, I had to like find multiple versions to boil this down into like layman's terms, like for Evan and I. For example, the more precisely one knows one's particle position, the less one knows about its momentum and vice versa. So if you can tell how fast a thing is moving, you actually don't know exactly where it is. But if you know exactly where it is, you have no idea how fast it's moving. Interesting. So with time, he's talking about like, if you can, if he sees a time wave, he actually doesn't know where it is. Well, but if you can see how fast a time wave is moving, he doesn't know what is happening. There's like this weird, he's trying to understand how this whole thing works. Right. And, <laughs> and it's, yeah. And there's also, if he sees something, it can also change it. Like him observing the time can actually change what what could happen. Right. But what he did see is a time nexus boiling within this cave. Possibilities focused right here, right now. Anything, a wink of an eye, a careless word, a mis misplaced grain of sand moved a gigantic level or gigantic lever across the known universe. <laughs> Anything, butterfly effect to the max right. right here. It's just like palpitating. He saw violence with the outcome subject to so many variables, massive amounts of violence, small violence, medium violence, violence everywhere on any amount of variable. The vision, wanted, he wanted to freeze in this moment to cause it to stop. But the act of freezing was also an action. Right. And he was, it, it was saying like, even like his slightest movements were all changing the course of the future. Like every little like motion that yeah, he... Now, I imagine, what if Jessica didn't go on that big speech right there? What if she like, all right, cool, let's clip the close the door and like continue. How much would have things changed? Because she had to see it right then and there, right? So as much as I want her to just like, yo, I want to take off my still suit. I'm almost glad you said all that to maybe set the future. I have no idea what may or may not happen. Right. The countless consequence lines fanned out from this cave, just fanning out. All along most of these lines, he saw a dead body, his own dead body, flowing with blood from a gaping knife wound. Bum, 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 bum. So it's like, there's a very real possibility that you get shanked regardless of what you do, unless you make very, some very specific decisions, right? Yes. Right. But hopefully in seeing it, he like, un, like it causes it not to happen or some weirdness in here. But yeah, could you imagine if you're tripping and you're like, all right, so in the last time I tripped, I saw two possibilities, right? Well, this whole thing ends with... um me saying hello grandfather but i don't want to go down that one i'm going to go down the other one so he could pick the other one and then he screws everything this, up right off the bat this right and then this time it's like oh my gosh all i see is my own dead body <laughs> crap <laughs> like get out of this one so uh, hopefully paul makes it hopefully i've i have a good feeling about it but we're have to learn a lot more about this whole prescience thing because i don't 
I'm glad I don't have this problem. But yeah, Paul is, he's, I think even if Jessica had this food, it wouldn't affect her the way it's affecting Paul. Right. So Paul is this new thing, this mentat male Bene Gesserit that on this perfect amount of timing and all of a sudden just gets dipped in spice and what's happening what spice does every, everybody else it's like a times a billion to him so here we are and this is chapter 32 thank you so much for reading dune with us a high flyer on youtube he said stoked to catch you guys live for the first time and you know what we are glad you are live for the first time, or you catch us for the first time. If you've caught up and you want to be live, we want we can't wait to have you on the live show. Yeah, and you can hang out with us. I don't know why I'm whispering, but it's super cool. Um I like it. Catch up with us on Twitter at Reading Dune. Sometimes we post about stuff there. That's true. That is the truth fact. We also love getting emails. If I send all the good ones to Evan, if you want to send spoilers, I don't send those ones to Evan because we got to keep him pure and virgin through this whole thing. <laughs> and like always, please stay safe and stay spicy, my friends. Yeah. Anything else, Evan? That was it, right? That was good. Yeah, it. Hey, send us, right. send us your stuff. Send us your favorite parts. Audio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do that. Okay, bye. Stay spicy. Stay spicy.